0: Yeah, so my name is uh, Chris Griggs, and this is a little seminar, a breakout called Pastor's Progress, and uh, I got it going, so we're good. All right, everybody get a little handout. There's not much on the handout except excerpts from the Pilgrim's Progress that you can look at and some room for you to make notes. All right, so yeah, we got some more. Uh, Zeb's in charge of the handouts there. Um So uh, let me ask you this question up front. How many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress? Be honest. You read it. All right. All right. How many of you uh, struggle with it? You read through it? Yeah. It's it's a great book. Uh, This breakout session, um, it'll make sense even if you haven't read the book. But uh, if you, I I feel like every pastor, every Christian should read Pilgrim's Progress um, and kind of get, kind of what Bunyan is trying to say, of course, most of you know it was written by John Bunyan and published in 1678. So it's an old book. Uh, A lot of you know Bunyan's background. He was uh, born near Bedford, England, about an hour northwest of London. And back then when everybody was born, they were baptized into the Anglican church, the state church. Uh, At some point in Bunyan's life, he became a Baptist. He got baptized in the river, joined the Baptist church, and became a Baptist preacher. Uh, There's a lot going on in England as far as uh, uh, the kingdom expanding and and a real desire for unity. Uh, How could the United Kingdom have unity? And they decided they would have unity in two ways, one with parliament and representatives from all over. But secondly, a state church. And so uh, there was an emphasis on conforming. And so you had to conform to the state church. You had to be ordained by the state church to legally preach. You had to follow the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, You had to do all of those things. Uh, But those Baptists were nonconformists. And Bunyan was a nonconformist, and he was actually arrested for being a nonconformist, spent 12 years in prison. And while he was in prison, he wrote *Pilgrim's Progress*. Uh, he wrote a lot of books, but one of them was *Pilgrim's Progress*. Uh, as I said, it was it was printed in 1678, became a, a, a bestseller right off the bat. And if you look at the front of your your thing there, the handout, that's just sort of a a copy of of the first edition. I think it's got a picture of Bunyan, and uh, you know he, he's asleep. You know it begins. The book begins that he had fallen asleep in a den in the jail and he had this dream and so the pilgrim's progress is this whole dream thing and then at the end he wakes up you know wakes up a couple times actually but the second little picture if you look at that picture it's a kind of a woodcut uh 100 and something 200 year old uh if you look there it's at the bookseller nathaniel ponder he's the guy that published the book in london and if you look at that picture, you'll see some interesting things. You'll see right there in the center, this man with a hat with a feather in it and a cane. And he represents the, uh, the elites, right? The, uh, he's an aristocrat. And he's got his wife there. And if you look over his right shoulder, you'll see the back of a man with a scholar's cap. Do you see him? He's an academic. You see children. If you look behind that woman, you'll see a guy counting his money with a net. He's a fowler. He's a, he catches birds for, or fish for a living. And he's poor. He doesn't know if he has enough money to buy the book. You see two children on the right. They're reading the book. Uh, and, and so what this guy is saying is that for some reason, Pilgrim's Progress hit everybody. It didn't matter if you were an academic. It didn't matter if you were the rich or the poor the old or the young. And, uh, and that's why Pilgrim's Progress has never been out of print since it was first published. It has always been in print. Now it used to be the second most read book in English. Uh, it's now number three. So what's number one? The Bible. What's number two? Anybody guess? Uh, well, no. Not even close. Harry Potter. Harry Potter is now the second most read book in English and Pilgrim's Progress is now number three. Uh, It's considered to be the very first novel that was ever written and so it was it's a different form and if you ever read Pilgrim's Progress what you're going to discover it begins with an apology and it's Bunyan's way of justifying writing on such spiritual themes in such a different way. It was controversial There were people who told him not to publish it because why would you talk about such high and lofty spiritual things in such a common way? And so, uh, but anyway, it's an allegory, which means that there is a spiritual meaning underneath the story. And that's really the key to understanding Pilgrim's Progress, is that Bunyan is telling a story, but it's a story that has spiritual meaning underneath it. And so he's using the story to to talk about some very important things concerning the spiritual life. Now, I've I've read Pilgrim's Progress many, many times. Uh, I've done men's discipleship groups where we've gone through Pilgrim's Progress, take about nine months to work through it. And uh, one of the things that I discovered as I was reading Pilgrim's Progress, if you know the story, it's about a man. He doesn't have a name. I mean, he, he does. His name is Christian but he's not a Christian. His original name was Graceless. But Bunyan calls him Christian and he does that because there's a lot of people who think they're Christians but they're not Christians. And so here's Christian and he's at the city of destruction. He's under this weight of sin. He's been reading the Bible. He feels like he's under the wrath of God and and he, he has to get out from under it and he eventually gets saved and converted and he eventually makes his way to the celestial city heaven. So it's a journey story, right? Of the Christian life. 10% of the story deals with Christian before he's a believer, and 90% deals with him as a disciple. So it's really a discipleship manual in a lot of ways. Uh, But Bunyan, you have to remember, he was a real man in a real time, in a real age. Uh, There was real history going on. He was really being persecuted, there was really some spiritual problems that he was trying to deal with. There were some bad people uh, that, that he felt like were, were a detriment to the Christian faith. Bad pastors. There were wicked judges. And so, uh, and, and when he wrote the book, he's writing about real places like the Hill Difficulty. It's a real place. It was a really high, steep hill that people had to climb, and it, it was a difficult hill to, to get up. The Palace Beautiful, which is, represents the church, we'll talk about that in a minute, was a real place. And so when, when they got this book in 1678 and read it, they read it differently than we do for several reasons. One, most people were versed in the Bible, and this book is just under about every sentence is some Bible verse holding it up. Uh, Spurgeon was the one that said, if you prick him, he bleeds the Bible, right? Uh, but the other thing going on is when they read, for example, about Vanity Fair, and they read about those judges and how they treated Christian and faithful, they knew who those judges were. I mean, they knew who Bunny was talking about. They knew who Mr. Worldly Wiseman was. They knew, and they laughed. It would have been funny. To them. They said, he is making fun of this guy. And so real places, real history. And here's the thing about Pilgrim's Progress is that Bunyan wrote it as a prisoner, but he also wrote it as a pastor. And one of the things that we miss, if you read through it, is you miss that all along the way, what Bunyan does is he drops in the pastor, and he lays out sort of a a picture of a faithful pastor, especially as it pertains to our responsibilities uh, 90% Ninety percent of it's a discipleship manual, so our responsibilities in discipleship, and a healthy church, and all of those things. So what I want to do is I just want to walk through six scenes of Pilgrim's Progress and and talk about Bunyan's pastoral theology. That if you'll if you'll get it, I don't think he's gonna. I don't think we're gonna say anything we don't already know. But they're good reminders for us on how we should understand and see our ministry as pastors in the local church. So the, the first scene that you'll see there on the next page is when uh, evangelist, the character evangelist, meets Christian. All right, now evangelist uh, represents a pastor. Don't think Billy Graham. This is, a, this is the pastor of a, of a local church, and for Bunyan it would have been a, a nonconformist Baptist church. And this character, evangelist, actually represents his own pastor named John Gifford. So let me read through this real quick, and then uh, and we'll talk about the implications. Now, in my dream I saw that one day when he was walking in the fields, that's, that's Christian, that's the man under the burden, right? He was reading his book, he was greatly distressed, and as he read, he cried out, as he had done before, what shall I do to be saved? And you know, somebody in the Bible asked that question in Acts, Chapter 2, after Peter preached, what must we do to be saved? Uh, He looked this way and that and as as if he wanted to run, but he did not know which way to go. Then I saw a man named Evangelist coming toward him saying, why are you crying? And the man answered, sir, this book tells me I'm condemned to die and after that to come to judgment. And I find that I'm not willing to do the first nor able to do the second, which is just a great line in English. If you just read that line, what a great line that I am. uh, I'm not willing to do the first. I'm not able to do the second. Then said evangelist, why are you not willing to die since this life is filled with so many evils? And the man answered, because I fear this burden that is upon my back will sink me lower than the grave and I shall fall into hell. And sir, I am not fit to go to judgment and from there to execution. And, uh, <clears throat> and the thought of these things makes me cry. Then said evangelist, if this is your condition, why are you standing here? And the man answered, because I don't know where to go. Then evangelist gave him a parchment roll, which was written upon it, flee from the wrath to come, which is straight out of the Bible, right? The man read it, and looking at evangelist very carefully, said, where shall I go? And evangelist pointed across a very wide field. Do you see that wicket gate over there? And the man said, no. Then evangelist said, do you see that shining light over there? And the man said, I think I do. Then said evangelist, keep your eyes on that light and go directly to it, and you will see the gate. Knock on it, and you'll be told what you should do. And so I saw in my dream that the man began to run. Mm -hmm. That's how it begins, right? Now, evangelist is a pastor. And most likely, as I said, he's thinking about John Gifford. And if you read his autobiography, uh, Grace Abounding uh, to the Chief of Sinners," he talks about how this pastor was willing to meet with him and talk with him as he was struggling to understand what it meant to be a Christian. Everybody thought they were a Christian because they were baptized into the, into the Anglican church, they, but they were Christian in name only. He's under this great conviction of sin. He doesn't know what to do with it, and this pastor is willing to meet with him and talk with him and help him uh, understand what the gospel is. Now, here's the question that I want to ask you. We just read through that. Where, do, where is this man with this, where is the lost man found? Where is he in the story? Where does it say? He's in the fields. Where does evangelist meet him? In the field. Where is that? Not in the church. He met him in the field. Why? Because the fields are white unto harvest. And what Bunyan is saying is that pastors have to be willing to meet people without Christ in the fields. We are to go into the fields. And I want you to notice how the pastor handles the situation. He doesn't minimize the man's guilt. What does he say? I'm under all this burden. And the pastor doesn't say, well, it's okay. It's all right. (laughs) He he lets it sit there. Second thing he does is he doesn't try to ease his burden. He lets it really sink in. You are under the wrath of God. Uh, And then he asks him some questions. And all those questions did was increase his sense uh, that he needs to get out from underneath this burden. Now, the burden is the the sense of guilt and sin that he has it's not his actual sin it's the sense of guilt that he has that he can't get out from underneath uh the 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 other thing that he does is he brings him to a point of hopelessness why are you here he says i have nowhere to go and then he then he gives him the scroll he gives him the scripture says we'll flee the wrath to come And and the man's utterly hopeless so what does he do he points him to the wicked gate now you know the bible who's the gate Jesus is the gate. So he's telling the man, you need Jesus. You need to get to Jesus, but he can't see the gate. So the the evangelist then says, well, do you see the light? Now, what's the light? The light is the the scripture. And what he's saying, here's what Bunyan is saying. He's actually uh, challenging a view held by the Quakers in his day that there was an inner light that you were to follow. And Bunyan says, the light you need is outside of you. The light is Jesus. You need to get to Jesus. Now, so here's, here's pastoral implication number one uh, that I think we need to just wrestle with. Is that as a pastor, we need to make time to be in the fields. Amen. We have to make time to be in the fields. Why? Why? Because that's where the harvest is found. That's where we engage the lost. That's where we find burdened sinners. There, there is too often this idea. Now, now look, I don't want God uses all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people, but I think sometimes we can uh, get a little off kilter thinking that if we just made the church more attractive to the lost, that they would be beating down the doors to get in. Why don't lost people come to church? Because they don't know Jesus. They don't care about the things of God. And the expectation that if they want to hear about Jesus, then let's make this thing as pretty and as exciting as we can to attract them to the church. Well, that happens. Every single lost person who ever came into your church was attracted to it for some reason. Either somebody invited them or there was a kid's program, or there was something going on, right? So I'm not minimizing it. What I want to say is that Bunyan has this idea that it begins not with trying to attract somebody to your church, but for pastors being in the fields engaging people where they are. So that's sort of pastoral lesson number one. I don't even know if these pins work, but we are to seek the lost where they are. All right, that's number one. Now, I'm not going to be able to get through all of these if I take time more time than I want to on each of these or more time that I'd like to. All right, let's go to number two. Before we do that, here's, I want to ask you, how are you making time to be in the fields? How are you doing it? How many lost people would you consider uh, friends that you're engaging with to win them to Jesus? How many, how many lost people do you know personally by name that are on your prayer list that you're praying for? How many? I, this is a re, where, does, where does discipleship begin? With conversion, right? And so discipleship begins with evangelism. And so, um, so anyway, that's where we begin. All right, second one is evangelist confronts Christian. That's the second scene. There are six scenes. <laughs> Where, where the pasture is dropped in. Uh, now, uh, let me read through this really quick. Now, um, Christian began to be sorry that he had taken Mr. Worldly Wiseman's counsel. And I want to stop there for a second and tell you, Christian's on his way to the wicked gate, uh, and he's, he crosses paths with a man named Mr. Worldly Wiseman, who say, sees the burden on his back and says, Hey, brother, you got this burden on your back? And he says, Yeah. And he says, I'm trying to get to the wicked gate to get rid of my burden. And he says, you don't have to do that. He said, there's a hill over there. All you gotta do is climb the hill and over the hill is a town called Morality. And if you can get to the town of Morality, I've got a, I've got a brother there named Civility and Civility, he knows how to lessen your burden. The name of the mountain, the hill you gotta climb is Legality. So Mr. Worley Wiseman is saying, you don't need Jesus to get out from under your burden. You just need to be a good person, follow the law, be civil, be moral, and you'll feel good about yourself. You will not have this burden anymore. And and the man believes him. And he heads over and he tries to climb uh, Mount Sinai, the law, and it's smoking and thundering and all that stuff. And an evangelist shows up to confront him uh, for believing false teaching about how to be saved. And so you can read through all that. Um, well, let's, look, let's pick up with the, uh, the conversation. Evangelist, what are you doing here, Christian? Uh, Christian didn't know what to say, so he stood speechless. Aren't you the man I found crying outside the walls of the city of destruction? Yes, dear sir, I'm the man. Didn't I tell you to wait to the wicket gate? Yes, dear sir. How is it then that you have so quickly turned aside? Sounds like Paul in Galatians 3, doesn't it? For you are not going. For for you are not going. Uh, the you are going the, right, the wrong way. That's just what it should say. It's a typo. Then Evangelist said, "Stand still for a bit, so I may show you the words of God." Now, how did he, how did he sound when he said that? Well, I don't know. But look what it says next. So Christian stood trembling. So what you see is an urgency on this pastor's part to tell this man the truth and to warn him against believing that which is false. And he says, uh, Thou art the man who's running into this misery. You've begun to reject the counsel of the Most High and draw back from the way of peace almost to the point of perdition. Then Christian fell down at Evangelist's feet, crying, Woe is me, for I'm undone. At the sight of this, Evangelist caught him by the right hand, saying, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men. Be not faithless, but believing. And Christian says, Sir, what do you think? Is there hope? May I now go back to the wicket gate? I'm sorry I've heeded this man's counsel, but may my sins be forgiven. An evangelist says, "Your sin is very great. for by it you've committed two evils. You've forsaken the way that is heeded. Uh, uh, I have heeded. Uh, you've forsaken a way that is good, and you have taken forbidden paths. Yet the man at the gate will receive you, for he has good will for men." Then Christian prepared to go back, the, an evangelist, now look at this after he had kissed him, smiled and wished him a successful journey. So now what we have is we have a false teacher. Worldly Wiseman. Probably a real person named Edward Fowler who was a latitudinarian who uh, would be what we would call a liberal pastor who believed in social reform. He did not believe that you needed the atonement. Edward Fowler was a real guy who wrote a book about this and Bunyan actually wrote a book to confront him while he was in jail. That Edward Fowler is a false teacher and that's who Worldly Wiseman was. And a lot of people would have said it. They said, oh, he's talking about Edward Fowler. Um... He offers a different gospel to Christian based on morality, civility, and legality. In other words, all you do is be a good person, do good deeds, and when evangelist shows up, he rebukes him sharply. And so here's our second lesson uh, of pastoral ministry, and it's this. Uh, We need to be men who guard the gospel. We've got to guard the gospel. He doesn't uh, back down from confronting worldly wise men as a false teacher. And there will be times in your ministry that that's exactly what you need to do. And to also expose false gospels. people, Your people need to be warned regularly about erroneous teaching because they're inundated with it. There is a lot of false teaching that has deceived people into believing uh, wrongly about the gospel. The, the last thing the enemy wants is for anyone to come to faith in Christ. And so uh, as you're dealing with lost people, don't be surprised as you're dealing with them and you're sharing the gospel with them and they're beginning to see it, that somebody doesn't happen to cross paths with them. Now, you got to understand when, when when they cross paths, Christian is going to the wicket gate. He crossed paths with a man going away from it. That's symbolic. Bunyan's wanting, you know, this guy is not going the right way. And the last thing that our enemy wants is for lost people to experience peace and forgiveness and purpose in Jesus Christ. In fact, we're not going to read this part, but when, if you know the story, when Christian actually gets to the wicket gate and goodwill answers the door... Bunyan says that he pulls him in because Beelzebub has a tower right beside who will shoot fiery darts. And even at the moment of conversion, he is actively working against that person coming to Christ. Which means we must be willing to be bold men who will confront uh, false teaching and false teachers and understand this is spiritual warfare going on. And so he's stern. I mean, he... he a Christian trembles because he is. No, you are on the wrong path. You are you are almost to the point of perdition. He says, but notice how it ends. He says there's still forgiveness available for you in Christ, and it says he kissed him, which means we're friends. He smiled upon him, which was a, a gesture of comfort. And then he wished him well on his journey. And so what we got to be is is we got to be men who will be willing to speak the truth in love, even when it's uncomfortable. We might have to do some probing and correcting uh, and work to correct people's false idea of sin. I'm a a good person. You ever had that conversation? Hey, you think you're going to go to heaven? Yeah, why? I'm a good person. I'm a really good person. I always do the Ten Commandments test. You ever do that? Let's do the Ten Commandments test. Number one. Let's see how good you are. You gotta get a hundred on the test. And I always do that with somebody. Number one, no other gods before me. You know, no. Yeah, honor your father. My, no. But when you get to number uh, six, thou not, shalt not murder. Right? What's everybody say? Well I ain't kill anybody. Right? But I did that one time to a man in the hospital, and I went to number six. He said, Yeah. Broke that one. Backed up from the bed. I was like, whoa. Yeah, right. So we got to be willing. Listen, we are not, and I wrote this in my notes, we're, we're not life coaches or motivational speakers or salesmen. We are to unashamedly hold forth the gospel because the souls of men are at stake. So Bunyan, you can see the urgency here. But that doesn't mean we have to be jerks. Doesn't mean that we have to have scowls on our face. He kissed him. He comforted him. He smiled upon him. He offered extended forgiveness to him. All right, number three. He makes it to the wicked gate. He's now converted. Makes his way. The first stop on the king's highway is the interpreter's house. The interpreter is the Holy Spirit. Inside this house, the Holy Spirit is going to show this new believer seven pictures. And each picture represents a truth that a new believer needs to know and hold on to for his whole Christian life. And so here's the first picture. It says, he commanded his man to light the candle, the illumination of the Spirit. And um, he led him to a private room and bid his man open a door. When he had done so, Christian saw the picture of a very grave person hanging upon the wall. He had eyes lifted up to heaven, the best of books in his hand, the law of truth written upon his lips. And the world behind his back, he stood as if he pleaded with men and a crown of gold hung over his head. And Christian asked, what does this mean? Now listen to this. This man, this is the Holy Spirit, this man who is pictured, there is one of a thousand. He can beget children, travail in birth with children and nurse them himself when they are born. And you see him with his eyes lifted up to heaven, the best of books in his hand and the law of truth upon his lips to show you that his work is to know and unfold dark things to sinners, even as you also see Him standing as if He pleaded with men. And you see uh, the world cast behind Him and a crown over His head to show you that He despises the things that are present for the love that He has for His Master's voice. He is sure to have glory for His reward in the next world. Now I have showed you this picture first. And remember, these are the things that a new believer needs to know. And the first picture is the most important. I've showed you this picture first because this man pictured here is the only man whom the Lord of the place where you are going has authorized to be your guide in all the difficult places you may encounter on the way. Wherefore, heed what I have showed you and bear in mind what you have seen, lest on your journey you meet with some who pretend to lead you right, but whose way only leads to death. So, this is very significant. The first scene is the picture of a godly pastor. And it's first, because here's what Bunyan is saying about a new convert. What they need at the beginning of their Christian life is to be under the guidance and authority and shepherding of a godly pastor. That's what they need. They need a pastor. That's what Bunyan is saying. A shepherd. An under-shepherd. And so you're going to see several things in the picture. First, it says that he's grave. Which means that he has a serious look upon his face. Uh, it simply means he takes this gospel ministry seriously. He's serious about spiritual things. That does mean we're not fun. That mean we don't laugh. It just means that we're not flippant with holy things. We're grave. These are serious things. Secondly, his eyes are lifted to heaven. He's seeking first the kingdom of God. He doesn't take his cue from the people on how he's supposed to do his ministry. He looks to heaven and is directed by God in how he's to do his ministry. He's dependent on God. He's looking to God. He's dependent, which means he's a man of prayer. Uh, His desire is to please God, not men. That's what it means. His eyes are lifted to heaven. He has the best of books in his hand. What's that? It's the Bible. Now, let me ask you, where is the Bible in the picture? It's in his hand. It's not on his shelf. That's significant. This is a tool that he uses all the time to do ministry. It's in his hand. He knows how to use the word of God, but not just that. Not just as you know how to teach it and use it. It is the rule for his own life. He's a man of the book. It's the message of his lips, which is the next one. It says the law of truth is written upon his lips. It refers to God's word again. He's not ashamed to speak the truth from the word of God. He speaks it with authority. It also implies that when he does speak, he's not duplicitous. His yes is yes and his no is no. He speaks the truth. What he says can be trusted. That's what Bunyan is saying. That's a picture of a godly pastor. He avoids fables and smooth talk. Um, He's not a smooth talker. He's a Bible talker. Uh, the next one, the world behind his back. He's not a worldly man. He doesn't chase the things of the world. His mind is fixed on things above. It says he he is as if he looked as if he was pleading with men. He pleads with men. He's deeply concerned for the souls of men. He doesn't just offer suggestions. He pleads with men. He seeks to persuade people in his ministry. To be reconciled to God, that's evangelism, and to live a godly life, which is sanctification. Pleads with men for this. Because there's an urgency, a seriousness about this. And then it says there's a crown of gold above his head. Uh, gold represents value. Uh, crown represents authority. It's placed there by God. He's called of God. It also is a picture of the reward that he can expect. Uh, our reward will be the crown of faithfulness, right? Right. It's not, it's 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 not the reward may not be a big church speaking at conferences, which we all chase. The reward is the crown given from the Lord for faithful ministry. And so so the question for a new believer, and you gotta get this as a pastor, this is Bunyan's idea now. This is Bunyan's, he's laying out his understanding of pastoral theology. For a new Christian or for a Christian who's wanting to to uh, join a church, the question is not, is, is, the, is the pastor a nice guy? Does, does he, uh, did he Where did he go to seminary? Um, does he wear a suit when he preaches? Does he have a good personality? Does his church have nice buildings? Do they have a good choir? Do they have any fun programs for my kids? That's not the question. The question is, is he a godly pastor, a man of the book, with his heart on heaven, with the world behind his back, with the truth on his lips. It's it's about his character. And so it says there, uh, Bunyan says he's able to begat children. That's evangelism. He travails with children. That means he's willing to suffer for their benefit. It says he can nurse them. It means he can feed them the word, both the milk and the meat of the word. Uh, He takes serious their spiritual needs and can feed them proper food. And it says that he unfolds dark things to sinners, which means that he is able to handle the word well, to reveal God's word to them. And then it says that he loves to serve his master. And that's the heart of his ministry is he loves Jesus. That's the heart of his ministry. So here's the the third, uh, our third lesson, uh, our implication here. Of pastoral ministry, and, uh, and 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 that is is that our people need a godly pastor to guide them. We are to guide the believer. We're to be a discipler. Basic stuff, right? All right, let's go to the next scene. I'm having to go quick because we got lunch in 25 minutes. All right. Next scene is when uh, Christian now leaves Interpreter's House, makes it up the hill difficulty, and he sees at the top of the hill a place called the Palace Beautiful, which represents the church. And uh, it's an interesting scene. Uh, There are some dangers. There are two lions that are... Beside the path, one on the right, one on the left. He can see the palace. It's nighttime. It's dark because he had uh, forgotten his scroll of assurance and had to go back down the hill to get it. Now it's dark and it's scary. He's nervous. And, uh, And look what it says. He looked up and behold, there was a stately palace before him. The name of it was beautiful and it stood right beside the road. So I saw my dream that he hurried forward to see if he might get lodging there. Before he had gone far, he entered a very narrow passage, which was about a furlong from the porter's lodge. And looking very closely at the path ahead, he spied two lions. The lions were chained, but he did not see the chains. Then he was afraid thought he should go back, for it seemed nothing but death was before him. But the porter at the lodge, whose name was Watchful, seeing that Christian had stopped as though he might go back, cried out, saying, Is your strength so small? Do not fear the lions, for they are chained. And our place there is a trial of faith, and to discover those who have none. Stay in the middle of the path, and no harm shall come to you. Then I saw as he went on, trembling for fear of the lions, but heeding carefully the directions of the porter. He heard them roar, but they did not harm him. He clapped his hands and went on till he stood before the gate where the porter was. Then said Christian to the porter, Sir, what, is, what house is this? And may I stay here tonight? And the porter answered, This house was built by the Lord of the hill, and he built it for the relief and security of pilgrims. The porter also asked where he had come from and where he was going. And then a little bit later in the story, porter said, Well, I will call out uh, one of the virgins who will, if she likes your words, bring you in to the rest of the family according to the rules of the house. So watchful the porter rang a bell, and uh, and a grave and beautiful young woman named Discretion came out of the house and asked why she had been called. Now let's work through this. The palace represents what? The church. The palace, beautiful, is the church. And for Bunyan, as I said earlier, this would have been a biblical, nonconformist, independent, Puritan, Baptist church, as opposed to the Church of England, the Anglican Church, which was wedded to the state. Because of the, the desire for unity, the state and the church were wedded together. And uh, it was actually against the law not to go to church. You could be arrested for not going to church. They, they, it was, you know, you were, when you were baptized into the church, you were considered a Christian, a citizen of the state. They're wedded together. And a nonconformist was a threat to the unity of the kingdom. And that's why all those laws were, they wanted unity. And so what's interesting, a little history here, when Bunyan comes up the hill and there's two lines. you know anything about England, On the royal seal you see a lion, right? And so what you have on one side is the lion of parliament and on the other side is the lion of the state church, right? And if you know anything about Bloody Mary, both the government and the church killed a lot of nonconformists. And so Bunyan, but those lions are chained. There had been some laws passed where you couldn't just kill somebody for being a nonconformist. You could hurt them. You could harm them, but you couldn't kill them. And so Bunyan is saying that he's talking about some historical things going on, that those lions are a real threat. Parliament is a threat to a nonconformist. The church, the state church is a threat, but if I stay right in the middle of the road here, they can't reach me. They can roar, and if I get close, they can harm me, but, but the porter, the watchman on the wall, is aware that they're chained. He doesn't know it. So there's a sense in which this pastor, the watchman, kind of has his pulse on what's going on in the culture. That he kind of knows some things. Now, now I want to, as an aside, late right after this scene, if you know the story, Christian has a traveling buddy named Faithful. And he asks Faithful his story. And when Faithful comes up the hill, what are the lions doing? You remember in the story? The lions were asleep, and then he went right past the Palace Beautiful. He didn't even go into the church. He went right past it because, uh, and this is where I disagree with Bunny on some things, Uh, Faithful most likely was a true believer in the state church, which is why the lions were asleep. He was no threat, which is why he went right past the nonconformist church. He didn't even go in. And Bunyan is kind of saying that, you know what, you're going to meet some people in this life who are real believers. Now, they be in a different church, but you need, but you know, doesn't mean they're not a believer. And so, uh, so anyway, he gets to the front of the church and he wants to go in. And Bunyan puts this early in Christian's journey because what Bunyan is saying, it's imperative that a Christian get plugged into a local church. Now, there's another distinction. If you look at that first sentence, it says, The name of it was beautiful, and it stood right beside the road. It wasn't in the road. It was beside the road. Bunyan is saying there is a difference between being saved and being in the church. For the Anglican, the church is the road. You can't be saved without the church. So Bunyan is being pretty sharp here. I mean, he's making some really strong Ecclesiali- uh, 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 his ecclesiology here is coming out. And so all those Anglicans reading it would have said, ah, he's hitting us right here in the face. Uh, the church is beside the robe. Uh, it's not on it. And Watchman is a pastor. And it's interesting that he calls his name Watchman because he watches over the souls of men as, as one who has to give an account. Have you read that anywhere in the Bible? Sure, in Hebrews chapter 13. And he, he watches over them to give them encouragement and spiritual counsel. Uh, and what you see in this scene is you see Bunyan's understanding of the local church and membership into it. And you won't understand this unless you understand what it, how, how someone became a member in Bunyan's church as a pastor. First thing that happened is you'd you have to meet with the pastor of the church and let them know that you wanted to be a member of the church. And the pastor then would examine you to see if you were a true Christian. After that, you would meet with either the elders or the deacons, and you would have to tell your story, and they would examine you. After that, you would then, if you passed that, you would be invited to stand before the whole congregation, which may not be more than the people in this room, and they then would ask you questions and examine you, and you would give your, your testimony. Then you would be asked to leave until sometime in the future, uh, and the, the congregation would debate whether or not they thought you were a true believer and whether or not you showed evidence of salvation before they allowed you membership into the church. Now contrast that with how we do it. (laughs) And if the pastor and the elders and the deacons and the congregation felt like you were a true believer, they would invite you back and have a service with you. And you would stand and give your testimony again. They would affirm you as a true believer and welcome you to have communion with this local body of believers we got a lot of churches, you might pastor one, where all it takes is somebody you've never seen, never met, first Sunday at your church, walk down the aisle, shake your hand, say, I want to join this church, and they're in. Which is one reason we got 16 mil- million Southern Baptists and about 5 million that show up on a Sunday and have been a real emphasis on regenerate church membership. And so the, the, the next little pastoral implication is that we are to, uh, to work in such a way... That we are maintaining the purity of the church. That we take church membership seriously. That we are to watch over the church. Now, if you read that story, the porter starts asking him some questions, right? And then he says, well, I'm going to have one of the virgins, four virgins come and ask some questions. Virgins, purity. And the first virgin, what's her name? Discretion. And you know what Bunyan is saying? You need to have discretion on who you let in. We're taught our whole life to open the front door as wide as you can open it and then spend all your time trying to keep the back door closed. And Bunyan says, nope. Make it hard to get in. Make it easy to get out. But we have to have discretion on who... We shepherd who comes in. We need to examine them. We need to make sure they're really believers. What process do you have of church membership? Because you've got to give an account for their souls. And what process do you have to make sure that you're exercising discretion in how the church is formed and functions? One of the things we do is we do pastoral interviews. I don't know if you do that. I would advise you to. I've got two tomorrow. Uh, They'll sit down with me. And I would just ask them, tell me, tell me your story. Explain the gospel to me. Tell me your testimony. And uh, one, one time I had two people sit on the couch. And they said, we're so excited. We want to be baptized. And, and I said, well, tell me your story. And he grew up uh, Jehovah's Witness. And she grew up Church of Christ, baptismal regeneration. And they wanted to come into the church. And they had no understanding of the gospel. They just liked the, it was the, they religious They felt like they should go to church. They had just moved the community and they liked the music. And if we're not careful, not only will we let those folks be members who don't even understand the gospel and let them be greeters or deacons. Boy, that's a terrible thing. And some of you are like, I got some deacons like that. And so he's saying you've got to watch over the church. The the second version, her name is Piety. She asked questions about his spiritual devotion. Tell me about your Bible reading. Tell me about your prayer life. The third one is, her name is Prudence. And she she wants to know, how do you fight against sin? How do you handle temptation? How, how, How are you living your life in a way that you're able to resist the temptation of the evil one? The fourth one is called charity. And her questions are this. Tell me about your love for others and your ministry to other people. Tell me about your concern for the lost. That would radically change the disciple-making DNA of our church if we thought differently about what the church is. And it's only after he all that he comes in and they and he's welcome to the table, and he shares communion. I, I got to hurry. I got what? How much time? I got fifteen minutes. It's interesting in Pilgrim's Progress that there is no baptism. There's communion and you know what they do at the Lord's table? They sit at the Lord's table and all they talk about is the Lord. If you read that whole section, the conversations engaged inside the church are all about the gospel. And it's a good reminder that, I mean, listen, that's a sign of a healthy church that people not only understand it, they rejoice in it and they gather to discuss it and talk about it. But there's no baptism. And this is where Bunyan and I sort of veer off the path a little bit. Bunyan did not believe that you needed to be baptized by immersion to actually enter membership in the church. He, uh, he personally believed you should be baptized by immersion, but if there was a guy who grew up in the state church and loved Jesus and, 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 and wanted to be a part of the church, he didn't want to make that an issue a hindrance. Now, that's where we're different. We we're going to get you wet all the way uh, for several different reasons. Um, and there were actually some guys like Nehemiah Cox and some other Uh, particular Baptist, they wrote these books back and forth with Bunyan, trying to encourage him to get that part of his ecclesiology right. Um, But the table was center. You got a watchman, you got interviews, and all of that happens before you get to the table, because they believe that the members of the church, the only true members of the church, are those who are genuinely born again. That you don't enter into the kingdom of God, because as a baby, somebody put water on your head, you enter into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yes? Yeah. What was the reason for Christian clapping his hands? Uh, I mean, he didn't experience. He, he got past them. They were awake already, they were chained. He was just happy he got past them. So he's clapping for joy? He's clapping for joy. <laughs> he made it to the palace. Yeah. And uh, without getting hurt, without being scathed. All right, let's go to the next one. Well, let me finish this one, all right? I got a couple things. Uh, watch carefully over the church. Protect its purity. Understand that the church belongs to the Lord. It's not your church. And you're going to give an account for how you handle it. Uh, but another lesson, and one that we often forget, is what's the name of the church in the book? It's called the what? The palace. The, the church is Beautiful. It's a good reminder for us to be honest with you the last couple of years it's been hard to see a lot of beauty in it it's been tough but it's beautiful and it was built for pilgrims and all these pilgrims are different And when they all get in the room it's to be for us It's to be you should stand up in your pulpit Sunday morning and just look at it and take a moment and just see the beauty of this the beauty of the gospel to save such a difficult weird group of people And put them all in the same room together, shoulder by shoulder, singing the gospel, which without Jesus, they wouldn't even hang out with each other. There's a beauty to this thing, right? And uh, it's supposed to be a place of relief and security where the members are cared for and reminded often of the promises of God. And one of the primary, and here's what Bunyan's saying one of the primary ministries of the church is to minister to believers. It's not the only one, it's primary. The church, the gathering of the church, that's for believers. We welcome the lost. Paul said, be sensitive that you would have unbelievers in your midst. But we don't structure the whole thing for unbelievers. It's for believers to be encouraged and nourished and equipped to live on mission. And while we praise God that the lost come and get saved, we don't form our whole understanding of ministry and the gathering of the church around Getting around lost people. Does that make sense? Absolutely. All right, next one. Evangelist is now outside uh, Vanity Fair. Uh, the pilgrims make their way, Faithful and Christian make their way. They're about to go into Vanity Fair. If you know anything about it, bad things are going to happen there. And Evangelist pops in to see how they're doing. And it says they were almost outside of the wilderness, and uh, Faithful happened to look back and spied someone coming after them and recognized them. Oh, said Faithful, look who comes yonder. Then Christian looked and said, it is my good friend, evangelist. Now this is interesting. How did he view his pastor? This is my good friend. Yeah. This is my good friend. And, uh, and my good friend too, said Faithful, for, he, uh, for it is he who told me the way to the gate. And evangelist caught up with them and he greeted them. And evangelist said, peace be with you, dearly beloved. So how are the, how are the people for the pastor? They're his dearly beloved. You can see this relationship. Uh, and peace be with those who helped you. And Christian said, welcome, welcome, my good evangelist. The sight of your face reminds me of your former kindness and your and Bunyan's word, unwearied labor for my eternal good. There was an appreciation by the, by the people for the unwearied labor of the pastor for their good. So what you're seeing here is that the longer that Christian lives the, the Christian life and the more engaged the pastor is in being a good shepherd, the more their hearts are in tune with each other and they love each other. Mm-hmm. To where the pastor says, my dearly beloved, and they say, my good friend, mm-hmm. I appreciate your unwearied labor for my eternal good. You, you don't get that by just showing up on Sunday and preaching a sermon, by the way. You, you don't get that by hanging out in your green room in between services. Mm-hmm. You, you get that by sitting across the kitchen table Counseling, you sit, you get that by the hospital bed when there's cancer. You get that by standing at the funeral, the graveyard. You get that by spending an entire weekend doing a wedding for people you barely know. You know what I'm saying? Unwearied labor for their eternal good. And then he says, the the crown is before you. It's an incorruptible one. So he's encouraging them. He says, so run that you may obtain it. Set out for this crown. And after they... Have gone far for it, another comes and takes it from them. Hold on to what you have, let no man take your crown. And then he warns me, you're not out of the devil's range yet. You've not resisted with your own blood. Let the kingdom always be before you. Believe steadfastly in those things that are invisible. Let nothing that's on this side of the other world become a part of you. And above all, watch out for the lusts of your own heart. So he's just giving them this encouragement. And then he says, my sons, in the next paragraph, you've heard the word of the gospel, you must pass through many tribulations to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Before long you're entering a town you will soon see before you, and in that town you will be harshly attacked by enemies who will try to kill you, and you may be sure that one or both of you must seal your testimony with blood. But be faithful unto death. Where have you heard that? Revelation there happens to be a character named Faithful. He's letting us know some faithful's going down. Be faithful unto death. The king will give you a crown of life. When you come to that town and have found what I've told you, then remember your friend. And then he says, behave like men. Commit yourself to your faithful creator. Continue to do good. So now they're in the town, and look what it says. They beat them mercifully, mercilessly. They let them in chains, led them in chains, up and down the fair as an example to others. But Christian and faithful behaved even more wisely and bore the humiliation and shame with so much meekness and patience. They returned to the cage, the men to the cage, fastened their feet in the stocks until further orders should be given. Look at this. And here Christian and faithful in stocks in the cage recalled what they had heard from their faithful friend Evangelist and were strengthened. For their sufferings confirmed what he had told them would happen. They also comforted each other uh, that whoever was chosen to suffer should be blessed Therefore each man secretly wished that they might have that honor and they committed themselves to the all-wise will of the one who rules all things content to abide in their present condition until he should will otherwise. Now this is the third time Evangelist shows up. First is in the field. Second is right next to Mount Sinai. This is right outside of Vanity Fair. And this and the whole scene, here's what Bunyan is saying. I'll write it here. Is that we need to prepare our people to suffer well. To prepare for suffering. Now, they got that kind of relationship, that love relationship. Where the pastor is able to sit down and say, now I know it's, it's going to be, it's, you're about to go through some hard things. But act like men. Jesus said it would be hard. He didn't promise you an easy life. You know, the entire story of Pilgrim's Progress goes uphill. Did you know that? Uphill. Do you know what? You know what, buddy, is saying? A Christian life's not easy. We're not doing our people any favors by telling them that if they just believe and have enough faith, things will be easy for them. Do you realize in our culture right now, if our people hold fast to what is true, they are going to suffer something for it? The temptation to, to compromise on moral issues is stronger against the people of God now than ever before. And what our churches need is a pastor who's willing to prepare the church to face suffering, to act like men, to be faithful to the end, to not compromise. And that's our fifth lesson. We're to labor for our people in such a way that they're prepared to endure the sufferings in this life. Now for Bunyan, that meant prison, potential death. They still could kill you. I mean, if Bunyan got out and kept preaching under those same laws, they would have exiled him, thrown him out of the country. And if he came back into the country to preach, they would have killed him. And they said, all you got to do is recant. If you'll recant and, and, and join the church and not preach as, a, as an unlicensed minister, then we'll let you go. And he says, you let me go today. I'm going to preach today. I'm going to preach today. And you just think, you know, I don't don't want to make light of this because we have been in a mess for the past two years, but it didn't take nothing for some of our people to cave. Nothing. And we can blame them all we want to, but one of our responsibilities as a pastor is to prepare them, to disciple them, to not be ashamed of the gospel, and to be willing to suffer in this culture and not conform. Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. That's part of our responsibilities. And what they need is someone who loves them, sees them as dearly beloved, and is willing to shape them to be the kind of disciple who won't compromise. Let me give you the last one. We'll do it really quick. And and it's the shepherds on the delectable mountains. I don't want to read it. I don't want to take up time. But the shepherds represent pastors. Uh there's four of them there and uh, our last lesson I'll write it on the on the board here is that we need to equip our, our people to finish strong this is towards the end of the book this is towards the end of the race heaven is in view and they get there and, and these the delectable mountains delectable means pleasant it means you know pleasing uh, from the mountains they can see clearly, they can see the celestial city. They're near to heaven. They've been walking with Jesus a long time. We're, we're talking about towards the end of their race now. They, have a, they can see with more clarity the end. God's word, they've, they've, they've immersed themselves in God's word longer. Heaven is in view. And those shepherds are pastors who feed and guard the flock. But the emphasis now is on ministering to those who are getting to the end of their race. It's almost like senior adult ministry. And there's, there's uh, three sermons. There's these hills. Each hill represents a sermon. And the first one is a hill called error. And he's saying the pastor is going to continue to warn you against doctrinal error. It's, you're never out of danger of believing wrongly about the gospel. Number two, the hill called caution. This is about behavior. You're never out of danger of not just believing wrong, but behaving wrong. And the third hill is called Clear. It's the third sermon. And that represents an unobstructed view of Christ in all of his glory and the hope that he has for us. So, this is the three sermons. One, but don't, you know, a warning against false teaching, a warning against false behavior, and an unobstructed view of the glory of Christ. And so. They give them a warning there, and you can read it. It says, beware the enchanted ground. And and the whole, if you look at, if you just were to map out the king's highway, the longest stretch in the king's highway is through the enchanted ground. And the shepherd warns them, don't fall asleep on the enchanted ground. The air is, is toxic. And if you breathe it in, it'll put you to sleep. And he says, so keep moving, keep going, don't stop, keep going, keep going, keep going. And Bunyan's point is this is that we know this to be true. The longer you do the church thing, the easier it is to get disconnected and apathetic towards it. We've heard we've all heard. I mean, is there is there going to be a new sermon that we could hear? We sing the same songs over and over and again. There's a danger of apathy. There's a danger of quitting, of slowing down, of retiring and moving away and just suddenly church on TV or church on, online, right? And we're seeing that. And so here's what Bunyan is saying is that part of our role as pastors is to equip our people to finish strong. Even the old people. And the old people need it the most. Amen. Amen. They need it the most because you know what? They're convinced that they've already done all this. It's time for somebody else to do it. No. That's right. That's right. We don't retire. We retread and keep going. right. So let me end with this. Uh, Here's the summary of the pastoral implications. Seek the lost. Guard the gospel. Guide the believer. Watch over the church. Prepare for suffering. Equip them to finish strong. And I will take you back to Interpreter's House and I'm going to pray. I want to encourage you with this last scene. If you look back at Interpreter's House, the interpreter describes the pastor as this way, that he's one of a thousand. It's another way of saying he's one in a million. There, there is, in, in the way God has orchestrated and set up the church, there is the calling upon a pastor that is unique from the calling of others. God has set us apart for ministry and called us to this. And he says this, he says he's one of a thousand. There's a uniqueness about his role and responsibility. But his reward, it says, is in the next world. Not necessarily this one. And so here's, I think, as I read through this and, 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 and think through it. I mean, why other? I mean, why are you doing this? God, God, God cause God called me. But what do you want out of it? Fame, position, status? We we're not to get our sense of value and worth from the ministry. That comes from Jesus. And if Jesus calls us to pastor in a village that has more goats than people, then we will be faithful pastors to those people and we will do these six things and if he gives us a a huge church with multiple pastors and a lot of systems and details and things like that we'll do these six things because it's not really about us and one day brothers we got to stand and give an account and so let's be disciple making pastors begins in the field And it ends at the end where we're helping our people finish strong. How many of you have stood beside the bedside of a dying saint as they ended their race well? And then the very next day went to the hospital and visited with a young couple who just had a baby. That's what we do. From birth, new birth, to entrance into the celestial city, we're to be faithful pastors. All right, let me pray for us. I'll hang around. Uh, my phone number's wrong, by the way. I put my email there if you have any questions. My phone number, it should say 770, not 440. I don't know how I typed that out. So if you want to text me or got a question about anything, it's 770-7609. Let me pray for us. And if uh, you got anything you want to add, I'll hang around and otherwise we'll follow Zeb to lunch. I all right? feel obligated to point out that Chris Griggs is the best pastor right. in Lincoln County. He, he, just doesn't, he, he doesn't know all the pastors there. He's just saying that. He only knows one. I know a lot, but he's the best preacher there. <laughs> so well, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we thank you for uh, your grace to us and the call to be a pastor, an under-shepherd of your flock. Lord, we thank you for the, uh, the honor that call. Lord, help us to appreciate the gravity and weight of it. We thank you for a servant of yours like John Bunyan who can help us think through what it means to be a pastor in difficult days. And so, Father, I pray that you would uh, encourage us to be men of the Word and that we would find our great joy in Christ, that we would labor for a crown on the other side, and that you would, uh, Father, enable us to be found faithful and to run well what you've called us to be about we ask this in Christ's good name amen thank you very much guys it's okay is it good okay what story is that